The NFL is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for Week 1. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly. No matter what, take advantage of this limited-time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any Week 1 game. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts. Plus, you can make every game a big game with the same game parlays. Download the official DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place $1 bet on any Week 1 game. That's promo code TBPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Hey, I'm McCoy here, and you are listening to the Solar Panel, the Phoenix Sun Show. Welcome to another episode of the Solar Panel. This is a midweek episode, audio only for those subscribed to the podcast on the podcast feed. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you all. And this is a Phoenix Sun show, but what I love to do with this mid, these midweek pods is talk to national writers, folks who not who are not necessarily affiliated with the Suns or huge fans of the Suns, to talk about uh, where the Suns fit in their worldview, uh, on the stories they write, on the on the teams they cover, things like that. Today, I've got Seth Partnow. You have known him on through at least Twitter. Uh, for many years, uh, he goes uh, with the handle Anchorage Man there, but um, he's at Seth Partnow on Twitter. And what's what's really awesome about Seth is he's one of the many, the growing number of, uh, but still too few, number of really great analysts who start out showing their their work on online and and uh, on Twitter and things like that, and then they get a job working for an NBA team. And then they come back out and they get to talk to us about it afterwards. So, and then, uh, so the first part of this episode is just to talk to Seth about that experience. And then the second part is we're going to cover um, how he ranked in groups, the top 125 players in the, in the NBA for the athletic. He's a writer for the athletic now. Welcome to the show, Seth. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, okay. So tell us about your transition. How did you get, hooked on with an NBA team. What can you tell us about that experience? And, you know, just how did that, how did that even happen? Uh, so take the, the, how did it come about firsthand first point? Um, the short version is, is I think for, for most people who get in a basketball job sort of from the outside, I got very lucky. Um, the more standard way to get into an NBA front office is, you know, you, 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 you play in college, you maybe play pro somewhere, you get hired as a scout, or you are a manager at a, at, you know, a top program and you kind of get in that way. Um, I obviously did none of those things. Um, I, I, you know, played, I played a couple of years of D3 basketball uh, way back in the nineties. Um, but when I graduated from college, uh, it didn't like working in basketball wasn't, a thing one aspired to do really. Um, so I, you know, got a, a, a day job. I, I worked for an internet startup um, and through a number of different kind of twists and turns in, in, in my career, I didn't, I, I never really had a firm sense of what I wanted to do with my life, but I kind of all had always been interested in um, sports and in general and basketball specifically kind of through the realm of statistics um, I did like my first player rating system when I was uh, f- about 14, I think. Um, it was very bad, but still. <laughs> hey, you got to <laughs> start somewhere. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> you need reps. You got to get reps. Um, but so eventually, uh, you know, did a number of things. I played, I, I was a lawyer. I played poker professionally. I did educational consulting. While I was doing, while I was consulting, I uh, needed a, need, my first child was about to be born and I needed a hobby that I could do at home. So I was like, well, I, I argue about basketball and the internet a lot. So why don't I just put my own place up there? So I don't not 
beholden to you know message board trolls and and whatnot, and just kind of put my thoughts down for no you know with no sort of ulterior motive other than like why not this will be a fun hobby. Um, and that happened to be that was that happened to be the season that uh, the NBA first started releasing um, not the tracking data itself, but some of the stats that that are generated from from the player tracking data. Um, and that gave a lot more insight into, you know, certain areas of the game, you know, with it's stuff like rim protection and shot quality and playmaking are, are things that are you know pretty well understood now by, you know, the 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 more deeply involved well, at least NBA fans. the terms if yeah. not the nuance behind yeah. the, the values yeah. yeah and and but though but that was those were some of the first things you could really start to quantify some of those things and um i, I mean I, I don't think i i need to be falsely modest but i i was one of the first people i think to to you know take those and and do interesting things with those in the, in the public realm um, and sort of through that, I, I, you know, my sort of one person site, I got noticed, you know, by larger media groups and started writing a few larger places. And also, um, it turns out that, that, that people with, with NBA teams read a lot about basketball. And so, um, people from teams kind of started to reach out to me and, and, um, I never really interviewed with the team. Um, I had a lot of, you know, conversations that, you know, we're somewhere between a, Hey, let's just talk about basketball and Hey, let's talk about basketball to see if you're someone we want to hire. Um, and those, that went for a couple of years and then eventually. Did you know the difference in those conversations? Oh, no. I mean, I kind of, I was, I was sort of aware as they were happening that they were, they were somewhere in that. But, um, and at a certain point I kind of realized that, um, I was likely to get offered a job somewhere, um, but it was also because I lived in Alaska and at the time had one kid and one on the way. It would have to be not just a job, but kind of the right job and yeah. um, um, and sort of the, the box uh, in, I guess, early 2016 kind of came through with, with basically created a position for me. They already had a, a director of analytics at the time and they basically hired me to be a uh, at at his at, at a gentleman named Mike Clutterbuck at his sort of urging, so it wasn't like they they hired me and, and foisted you know me on someone right, who already right. had the same job <laughs> uh, to be sort of a, a co-director with him, um, and that's that's where the, the the title director of basketball research comes from is the same as director of analytics, but they already had a director of analytics, so it wasn't like so, the second <laughs> was, title. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so but it's 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 the you know. It, it's not quite the same thing as, you know, president of basketball operations, meaning the same thing that GM used to, but it's uh -huh. along those lines of, you know, all titles and NBA organizations are, are sort of made up. Um, and you can't really tell what they mean from the outside, but that's where uh, they that's true of all business. actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's, that's the, the sort of the winding way of, of how I got uh, to the bucks in the first place. And, and it was not, there was not a lot of, up until probably about a year, maybe before I got hired, there was not a lot of intentionality in terms of, of hey, I'm going to use this and I'm going to get a job in basketball. Um, you know, about a year before I got hired, my wife was, was uh, uh, you know, with the amount of time you're spending on this, you're getting a job with the team. It was basically how it was put to me. And, and I, it's still, frankly, at that point, it didn't seem like something that like was was possible. But she's like, no, this is happening and it's going to happen or else kind of thing. Wow. Um, so and then uh, and then, yeah, that's, that's, that's a how it worked out. And heavy belief all at the same time. That's pretty uh, great. Yes, that's that's I mean, that describes a lot of marriage, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's great. So, uh, you joined the Bucks in what year? And that was the summer of 2016, kind of the uh, at the very start of like just after uh, they didn't make the playoffs the the year before. So it was kind of at the start of the draft process so for just the 2016 the whole, draft. Uh, after obviously after Giannis was taken in 2013, and yeah. after they'd acquired Chris. Yep. Middleton. Yeah. So you uh, and you were there for until 2019 or 2020. Yeah, I, I left uh, um, sort of after the off season was largely done uh, in 2019, which was so off season after uh, we lost in the conference finals to the Raptors. Gotcha. So tell me what kind of role your work played in building the roster around Giannis and Chris, and also keeping Giannis and Chris 
without being because well, some research I've done, um, you know, I'm, I, I dip my foot my foot in the waiting end of the pool, you know. So, but some research I've done is is just look at contenders and and how they've stayed together, how they've come back, you know, gotten to the finals at least once or conference finals, and then how they stay together. And most NBA teams have zero patience to keep a team together, even even if you narrow it down to only their top two players and their coach. If you even just narrowing it down to that, almost no contender except you can count you can count on one hand how many contenders in the last decade. And when I say contenders, again, late um, deep finals run or deep playoff runs, um, they usually make some kind of change. So, what role did you play, and how did they decide not to move on from uh, Bud or Giannis or Chris or do some kind of shakeup there? Um. I can't totally speak to I, I got I had think that after after 2019 like there there was like Giannis and Chris that was that was the block that was not that wasn't going anywhere barring like I don't know barring name someone you know at the very the you know Anthony Davis or better like sure. sort of sort of like I don't think I don't think they even though I think that that like Paul George and Jimmy Butler are slightly better players. Then Chris Middleton, I don't think they would have traded Chris straight up for either of those players at that point. Um, okay, so and, they were really bought in. To yeah, that. yeah, and uh, and part of that is I think just from a a skill set standpoint, like he is an uh, a, a pretty perfect foil for Giannis. Um, yeah. You know, um, uh, we'll get to this when we talk more about the the tiers later. But you know, part of the sort of the positionless revolution is you have uh, like top players who are you know almost differently shaped in terms of their games than, than what we're used to seeing. Like the, we're used to the, you know, the, the big wing scoring superstar. Like that's the, that's the, the archetype of the best player in the NBA. And it has been for close to 30 years. Um, But now we're like a player like Giannis, who is so dominant, you know, and getting to the basket and his defensive versatility but he actually, if he has a weakness, I mean, aside from, you know, free throw shooting, it's that, you know, shot clock winding down, set defense, get a bucket, get a hit a tough mid-ranger kind of. And Chris Middleton is, you know, doesn't have everything that the, you know, elite wing superstars do, but he has that at an elite level. So just that that fit between the two of them was was so good that it would have taken a whole lot to to break that pairing up by 2019 before that. I mean, you had like, other than, than like, uh, I don't want to speak too much, uh, you know, in, in specifics, cause you know, those were, those were conversations had in, in confidence, sure. but like, you know, you, um, mo- as with most teams, like, uh, you maybe have a guy or two who is untouchable. Like Giannis was like, you know, in 2016, would we have traded Giannis straight up for LeBron James? I mean, we would have had a meeting, but I think, I think, you know, but it's because it's LeBron James, but like that was, you know, that's, it has to be that kind of conversation. Like that we kind would of have, level. Okay. Yeah. You at least, you know, everyone else, you at least talk about it. You know, you at least, do we need yeah. to think about this? And, you know, for your, for, uh, Different different front offices and executives have different sort of tolerances for this. Like Daryl Morey, I would imagine, is like, "I ah, will talk about anything. We won't we won't do anything, but we'll have the discussion." Whereas whereas sure. others are a little more reticent to even like, you know, have the discussion about their second or third best player. And and you know, I don't know what the right answer is. I think that there's that that teams are maybe a little teams in general tend to overvalue their second, third, fourth best players relative to the rest of the league. Um, but mm-hmm. but I, I, I still don't know what the right answer is because, um, you know, shaking up a team does have sort of ripple effects, and there's only so many times you can make a big trade and have the team be coherent. So, they're, like, the bias against action is at least, even if it's too strong, um, is at least somewhat understandable. Um, okay. I'm not sure what question I just answered, but I answered some question. No, you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did. You did. Uh, it's just yeah. the the Bucks. I think are just when when I looked around the league and I looked at the contenders, uh, I feel like the Bucks had a little bit more patience than most front offices to stay 
together, at least at the top two or, 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 and, and the coach. So um, while you may feel like there was a lot of reticence, it's, it's the actual, there's not many teams who actually did stay together, had didn't all the, go all the way to win the championship first. And, and frankly, some of that was timing. Um, like, you know, if, if, uh, if 2019 had been, had been Bud's third year rather than his first, then who knows like what, you know, just judging on it, like, again, not, this is not based on any like information sure. or, or reporting or anything like that. But if that had been his like third or fourth year, and then the following year was sort of the, the disappointing flame out to Miami in the second round, yeah. like we, like that's, that's not a situation we've never seen a coach get fired, even you know, one who's, who's been, had, had a pretty good strong uh, track record, you know, a team that's, mm. that, that is right at the finals and then takes a big playoff step back. Um, but you know, it being the, it being the second year probably, you know, bought him a chance. Yeah. Helped buy him a chance at the third year. And then, you know, here we are in the third year, they won the title. Yeah, exactly. So it worked out really well. Okay. So let's, uh, thank you for that. Uh, giving folks, uh, my listeners a chance. I know, uh, hearing about the Bucks might be a little bit raw for you at this time, but the Suns fans I'm sorry. Is, is a Suns pod. No, no, no. I brought it up. My own, my own fault. But uh, I'm, I'm a big advocate of the Suns did very well this year and lost to a team that deserved to win because Giannis played extremely well. No matter how disappointed you are in the outcome, the Suns didn't punt uh, or lose the series that the Bucks won it. So let's move on. Let's, uh, let's, let's go on to, um, your top 25. So now you're back working with the athletic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're still um, so good with analyzing it and getting information, usable information out of the data that's available out there. And, <clears throat> and of course, I'm sure you're completely married to this top 125. There is no way that anyone could fit in the top 20, 125 that didn't get in there in your first draft. And <laughs> nobody would ever move tiers uh, based on a new information, right? Uh, no, that's not how it works. I mean, part of it is, is, yeah, part of it is, is, um, uh, like I, I, I think I saddled myself with 125. This is the second year I've done this for the athletic. And this is, this is by the way, an exercise that, you know, I, I can't speak for every team, but I would, I would think that on some level, even if it doesn't look exactly like this, most teams do some sort of exercise like this to sort of you know, parse the league and say, okay, who are the, who are the real franchise guys in the league? And who are the, you know, the, 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 you know, the terminology has been somewhat standardized because it's sort of spread from the, uh, the Spurs. I think it was, I think it was called the Spurs standard of quality and it's sort of uh, per- percolated throughout the league. And now you have like the Buck standard of quality and the Hawk standard of quality and the jazz standard of quality, but they're all sort of the same nomenclature, which is, you know, you have your, your franchise players, core players, uh, top starters, uh, starters, key reserves, uh, high rotation players, rotation players, and sort of uh, depth p- players, whether those are, you know, development pieces or uh, veteran leadership is, is the taxonomy. And then the bottom level Udonis, is sort of, does he have his not, own tier? What's that? Udonis Haslam. Does he have his own tier? No, no, veteran, own veteran leadership is, is, yeah, is, is, is there. Um, co- coach on the bench, I guess, not on the floor. Um, and then also there's, you know, the bottom level is, is, you know, not team X quality. So not Spurs quality, not Bucks mm. quality, whoever. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a fairly standard, you know, taxonomy around the league. Um, the, the, um, the part that's, that's sort of have been frustrating to me doing this kind of exercise, both like, you know, in public and with a team in the past is that the definition of those categories can be so squishy. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, who's a franchise player? Like, you know, I'm sure that the that 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 Suns fans would say, well, Devin Booker's our fl- franchise player. I, with with all due Is respect, he everybody's I, franchise player. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, but with all due respect, like you know, I based on some empirical research, there are really you know three, five, seven like guys who I would consider to be franchise players at any one time in the NBA, and so it does like Devin Booker belong in the same conversation as. This isn't. This is not intended as a slight on Booker. This is just you know the the, the self assessment you have to do as a team to figure yeah. out where you are. Is like Devin Booker is he on the same kind of level as Giannis or Kevin Durant or LeBron or Steph Curry or and you know I, I 
hopefully I'm not like, you know, insulting or, 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 or no, committing violence on your, <laughs> on no. your listeners. And, by saying, and if yeah. people think you are doing that, then they're, yeah. they're just not looking at the bigger picture. They're not yeah. fully aware. Most, most team fans, and there's no slight to them because we're extremely yeah. busy in our regular lives. Most team fans only watch their one team. So we lose a little bit of, of look at the rest of the league. Well, you know yeah. what? Let's uh, within this top 20, top 125. What's really fun is that the Suns have somebody in just about every tier. So this gives you a chance to explain how you came to the, you know, why you put this player in that tier and, and kind of gives us a little bit of perspective sure. at the bottom end. Let's go bottom to top. Yeah. So um, again, there, um, uh, uh, this is just a top 125. There's 450 players in the league. So this is the top 25% of the top 0.1% of players playing basketball in the world. Um, so let's please Suns fans don't feel slighted when your guy that you love is only 80th. That's still incredibly good. Um, so let's go into this. Now you don't actually rank players by, by number. Like you don't go right. number 81 is this, uh, but we do have is, is there's a reason your... for that. Yeah, go ahead. No. And the re I mean, the reason for that is that um, with, with very few, first of all, there's very few chance situations aside from the draft where an ordinal ranking of players is actually sort of useful. Um, you know, in, in like a free agency situation, you might, you know, okay, there might be a situation towards the end of free agency where, okay, these are the 25 guys who might be available on a minimum. What's our priority order? You might do that. But in general, it's, it's, you know, would we rather have this guy at 10 million or that guy at 12 million or, this guy, if we have to give up a first round pick or that guy, if we can, you know, give up our backup point guard in a second. Um, and those are, you know, so that's, that, that's not a, that's not really a discussion that, that um, lends itself to a strict ranking system. And then also, you know, players are so aside from the very top players, the, 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 the you know, the value, the production, the, the whatever is so contextual that it's, yeah. it's, you know, um, now you know, I'm I'm someone who before last season, not this past season, but two seasons ago, was not a was not a particularly big supporter of Devin Booker. Um, now I think I, like now the the argument would be, did he get a lot better in 1920, or did the the context around him improve uh, to make him look better? And it's it, it's probably some of both, but for the most part, like guys can perform very well in some situations and not so much in others. Um, and it's, it doesn't make them a worse player. I mean, I think maybe the best example of that right now in the NBA is Pascal Siakam, who, mm. when he was like a third option for Toronto, was a really good like all-star, maybe slightly overrated to make all all uh, like an all-NBA team, but just a, a very good all-star player in that level. Now, last two years, he's been asked to be like their, their go-to scorer, and that doesn't fit his skill set. Yeah. Uh, and so he's looked worse. Him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so is he a worse player because he's being asked to do stuff he can't do? I don't think so. I think he's, you know, I think he's probably still the a context. very, yeah. Um, and so there, so, and then, so ranking guys like, oh, he's the 81st, he's the 82nd, which is, well, which one of them is playing in, in sort of an ideal situation and which isn't. And that doesn't seem, you know, that doesn't seem particularly useful to me to be grading who is in who whose situation right. is better than 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 who than than who else's? So it's kind of, you know, the the, the, the tier levels are sort of uh, which one would you rather have? It depends. Who else you got? What are what do you need them to do? And then, yeah. then we have fit best on your team. What skill sets yeah. within this group yeah. fit best on your team that you need that you're you're gonna find a good situation for yeah. you. Um so in your in your bot in your lowest tier, tier five. There it's it's 45 players deep. So and that's again the top 25 percent of the league. One uh, guy who just missed the cut. You mentioned it specifically. Just missed the cut of the top 125 would be a Cameron Johnson. And one guy who made the cut of the top 125 is Cameron Payne. Talk about those guys in in particular on on why one would be in and one would be out. Um. So. First of all, I, I, I mentioned that I kind of saddled myself with 125. I mean, if you're if you're really doing this exercise kind of straight, like uh, um, there's no kind of set number for each group. Um, if I, you know, there could be like the 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 
the tier five could go from about the 80th best, 75th or 80th best player to the 110th or the 150th. Like it, it's a pretty, just depending on, on there's a lot on, of similarities yeah. on, on. Yeah. And it's just, it's, and so just to, oh, just sort of, just sort of for purpose of defining a cutoff, I put it at 125. If I was like, if I was doing this like on the team side, it probably would have been like 137 and Cam Johnson would have been in there. So sure. it's, it, but uh, within that it's, it's, I mean, it's it's very narrow, but it's it's you know, uh, just the like little things that that in terms of of you know scoring volume and you know uh, the defensive versatility and and ball and hands kind of stuff that 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 differentiate kind of the the Cam the Cam Johnson archetype of player from the guys who are, I think at this point just just a little bit better. Like not sure. not enormously, just just a little bit. Like uh, I think Alec Burks is someone who I believe I have in in, in tier five, and and it, you know they're not the like Burks is not as big, um, but you know they're probably reasonably similar defensively. Cam might be a little bit better, but Burks is a a more a, a, a more consistent, more consistently well rounded offensive player in terms of his ability to put the ball on the floor and play make and. And and just little things like that. And so, sure. do I think there's a big difference between them? No, um, it, it's it's just you know nitpicks basically. Mm-hmm. And campaign is someone who uh, you know on a I don't think he is on a I don't think on a, a championship level team. I don't think he's a starting point guard. I think as he's kind of demonstrated this last year, he is a pretty pretty a uh, pretty high level you know kind of backup point guard, third guard who can be a change of pace. Um, you know, extend leads against second units um, on nights, uh, a couple nights a year where your starter maybe doesn't have it or is out, can can you know carry a team on a, a, on his own. I think those are all very useful abilities, and just you know the the combination of a very good outside, very good outside shooting, and you know the the, just the pure speed to get to the basket to put defenses in rotation is just a, a highly useful skill set um, in a playoff environment. He's an example campaign is because he was out of the league. We all Mm -hmm. remember this um, uh, just over a year ago and his skills have not dramatically changed. What's changed for him is, is focus attitude. Like, Hey, I'll do whatever it takes now instead of um, I was a first round pick and I should, and he's admitted that to uh, himself. I had a nice conversation with him earlier this year. Um, And then also context, as you mentioned, he's in a situation that, his coach and his team fit his skill set and, and can show him off better. And he does the things that they need him to do at the right time. And so he looks good that he might not look as good on a different team. He also might look better on a different team, but we haven't seen it yet. So, you know, yeah. good for campaign that he's actually found that niche and now can make a career out of it. That's, that's going to last a while. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, there's, and there's, there's, you know, if you look at the the list, there's, there's lots of guys on there who, who that's a similar thing. They've, they've sort of um, almost part of becoming a, a really good role player in the NBA is almost taking some stuff out of your game. Like mm-hmm. that's, you have to, to be a, a, primary or even secondary player at a high level in the NBA, you've got to be so good at those things. And so as, as guys sort of start to realize, maybe that's not me. So that's, that's, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take that out of my game a little bit. Yeah. They um, need that realization. Right? Yeah. And then be okay with the role player. doesn't need to yep. be a star kind of thing. Yep. And then all of a sudden they fit better. Yep. Um, okay. The next tier up tier four is about 40 players deep. Uh, 42 players deep. It's um, you have it as 37 to 79, but again, that's splitting hairs. It's just about the next better 40 players. Um, you've got three sons in there, three starters from the finals team uh, that just that just almost almost won the championship. Um, you've got DeAndre Ayton, Jay Crowder, and Mikkel Bridges. They all moved up from the tier five into the tier four um, at the at the at the lower end of the tier four. And so that puts them uh, just outside, so anywhere outside the, the mid-30s on best players in the NBA to uh, just inside that, that group of guys we talk, the campaign fits into. Um, tell me how you, uh, what kind of thoughts you had on those guys that, that put them into that group. 
Sure. So, so there's sort of at, at the top of tier four to get into tier three, that's sort of the point of delineation between like role players can't really get above tier four in, in my mind, you have to be, it's either someone who is, who is kind of a primary or secondary player or, uh, sort of the one the one exception is kind of centers who are like almost defensive primaries can so so you know the, the one of the guys who's i think one of the best pure role players in recent nba history would be like a danny green who's mm -hmm. a, like a spectacularly effective player in a role um who you know would show up at the you know very top at a bunch of advanced metrics every year because he was so effective as kind of a three and d wing but you don't build a team around that guy. You kind of you finish a team with that guy, is is, mm -hmm. is the way I would say it. And so that's you know I think that when we're talking about Bridges and and Crowder, I think we're we're talking about you know slightly different molds. But that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Like like Crowder is is um, his defensive versatility, his, his ability to play up positions. Um, he's he's maybe not the most accurate shooter in the world, but he's his. Um, absolute willingness to keep shooting yeah yeah exactly <laughs> makes it, that is, creates gravity all by itself yes yes and it's you know for like aside from the very like elite percentage guys volume is uh in effect uh, a, a much more important for creating gravity than percentage mm -hmm. um because if you know the guy will shoot you don't like if a guy shoots 36 percent and you know he's putting it up every time that's a guy you have to close out hard to where a guy who is maybe a more reticent shooter who happens to be shooting 42%, maybe not as much just because he's not going to, he's not going to let it fly. Um, right. And so that's where, you know, where Crowder is just like absolute away attitude <laughs> makes him, you know, yeah. uh, makes him more, perhaps more valuable than his, his sort of raw percentage would suggest. And then Bridges is, has been one of my, one of my favorite players, um, since he he came into the league, um, he was a guy who I, um, I I don't think there was anything that was available for us to do to to get him. But I he was someone who I definitely was advocating for us to trade up and get in the uh, in the in the twenty eighteen draft. So twenty eighteen twenty nineteen in in whichever 18. draft he was in 18. eighteen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, that was the Miles Bridges in that draft too. Um, yeah. Um, he's definitely someone who I, who I, I, um, and he's, you know, been with between his length and shooting and athleticism and a and just a little bit more off the bounce than, than, than maybe he's given credit for. Um, he's just, he's just, a he's growing into that. Good, yeah. He's a yeah. spectacularly good role player, but he's, he's someone, you know, his, his usage has never been, you know, an average NBA usage is around 20. Uh, like a like a primary or a secondary is maybe about a twenty five and a star is about thirty. He's been in the mid to low teens for his whole career, just because he's he's not uh, super confident, or not super super aggressive or or yeah no um, we're, yeah you're you're not saying anything we haven't heard yeah, yeah exactly yeah. we've and that's okay by the way that's that, that's okay and that's okay he is yeah. exactly as you're describing one of the league's ultimate role players, like a young version of a Danny Green where every team wants him, but he's not necessarily your number one or even number two option scoring-wise. He has the talent to do it, but in the finals alone, he showed that one game he'll score 27, he'll look totally active and totally engaged, and the next game he'll score five. Um, and there's nothing the Suns did to open up or decrease his offensive opportunities. Maybe it's the the way the Bucks were playing defense in the finals, but uh, Bridges did that all year long. He was very much an up and down kind of because he focused more on defense than than offense. So I see what you're saying on that. How about DeAndre Aiden? You moved him up in the same way you moved those guys up from five A to four B. Uh, what kind of what kind of future or ceiling do you see him having, and why? So he was someone who, if the if if I had done the tears after. Uh, game two of the finals, <laughs> he probably would have been in tier three. Mm -hmm. um, just because the, the thing that, that, you know, I think that, that everyone has wanted to see from him, um, uh, I think Suns fans more, as much as anything else, was uh, the, the, the consistent use of his physical tools to play with 
a great deal of force around the basket on both ends. Mm-hmm. And I would say up through, you know, game two of the finals, he had been a revelation this, this playoff run in terms of, of doing that. You know, he had um, basically completely cut jump shots out of his offensive game. And yep. not only were his, his finishes inside, he wasn't just finishing inside. He was, he was looking to put guys in the basket with the ball. And he's still someone who I wish would get fouled more because he's got a good shooting touch and shoots well yeah. from the line. Um, uh, and then on defense, he was he was you know a very mobile, good rim protector, which you know it's it's some it's it's one of the it's one of the reasons why even though I thought Luka Doncic was you know by some margin the best prospect in that draft, I could see the argument for Aiden at least based on right. on like that 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 skill set. Um, yeah, those last four games of the finals were unfortunate for him because after Dario Saric went out, uh, he was basically put on an island and said, yeah. look, man, it's either you or nobody against yeah. Giannis. And, oh, by the way, and we're going to have to play 45 minutes because, yeah, yeah and broke Lopez. But, you know, this it was just mostly Giannis because yeah. if you look at if you play back those games, he was he was on Giannis just about every minute he was on the court almost every possession and they were, they were clearing out the side for Giannis and Giannis was just his best self in the finals. And um, it was eight or nobody because the Suns didn't have anybody else over six, six. So it was, that was tough um, or six, eight, but really that was tough. Yeah. But, and, and the part that was, it wasn't, you know, getting, getting beat by Giannis. There's no shame in that. The part that was sort of like kind of had slowed me down a little bit and moving him up a little bit. It wasn't just that, that like Giannis was, you know, getting by him um, because um, there are better players <laughs> that Giannis will do yeah. that too. Also, it was also on the offensive end, like the, the, yeah. the hard finish to yeah, the basket yeah. had, had suddenly started to turn back into like, you know, flip shots mm-hmm. and, and, you know, fadeaway jumpers. And, and so just that, you know, it's, it's, um, Kind of for the Suns team as a whole, just that that those last four games, I think, is where almost one of the first times in the playoffs where kind of the lack of experience showed up a little bit, just because you hadn't you, like guys hadn't been there before, and and this wasn't something that I was a great believer in myself, to be honest. And then like uh, in the 2019 Conference Finals against the Raptors, who were a very experienced team, you know. Uh, having you know been to that level mul- multiple times and and having fallen short, just like I could, I could see the difference in kind of the reps in terms of having to figure it out in that environment right. that they had over us, and that was a big part of the reason why they came back and to to win that series. Um, you know when we were up two games to none, um, right? And and so I thought I thought there was you know that's um, what happened and, this time. Yeah, and and I think I think Aiton is maybe. Aiton to some extent and Booker, uh, well, no, Booker to some extent, but but Aiton, I think we're we're prime examples of that in terms of of okay, run up against this really difficult challenge and not totally sure what to do here, and right. you know, in in Aiton's in Aiton's case, it resulted in a in a, in the in sort of the uh, it's a loaded word, but the 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 passivity that that had mm-hmm. largely been eliminated. To that point in the playoffs, and then in 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 Booker's case, which we'll probably get to in a second, is is kind of a, almost a little bit of of over aggression, like looking to score, yeah. just and, and having not having not seen this particular puzzle before. And again, I don't think there's any shame. And in, in, I think throughout NBA history, we've we've seen that that teams generally kind of need to come up against it and fail because there is this learning. That, that happens of of having to to you know face a team that have has, to have seen it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's that's you know it's not to say that that Aiton can't progress further. It's just he's those last four games just just showed to me that little bit more he needs to 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 go in sure. terms of of you know consistently channeling his his you know his size and physical tools into into effective two uh, two way basketball. So, hey, I've got a quick aside for you. And if yeah. you're not prepared to, or this wasn't your skill set, that's totally fine. Um, but Aiton and Bridges are up for extensions on their rookie contracts this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you have these guys both in a tier that you describe on the on the write-up about these tiers, that these are generally players 
worth contracts in the low twenties and annual millions. That's one of your con yeah. contacts. Um, and they're either stars of the recent past who've aged out of all-star level play, but are still extremely productive or those on the way up who haven't quite reached those exalted heights. Well, as you know, from working with the bucks, you don't always get to match the contract with their current production. Sometimes the yep. contract has to be against future production and your mm -hmm. best guess of future production. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, um, on both players, where would where would you feel in an NBA front office you need to go on an extension to get these guys done? Um, I think that I would. Uh, I mean, the the contract John Collins got is. Uh, with Atlanta is is about the five by one twenty five. Yeah, I mean you can't. That's that's not that's not an extension you can offer either of them there. But like in the in the, tw the mid to high twenties a year, um, mm -hmm. I would maybe uh, just because of of his like his his volume is, of scoring is lower. I, I think that you could probably do better. Uh, on you know, get something more in the the sort of the Duncan Robinson range, even though they're very different players. You know, maybe in the the, the twenty twenty one year about for, here? for for Bridges, yeah. Um, and and if if Aiton ends up ended up at like you know a a like a twenty five percent like a non Rose roll um, mm. max extension, I think that would be a touch high, but not egregious in any way. I mean, especially considering we are. The cap is probably going to start rising again in the next two or three years, so the yeah. the back half of those deals would 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 probably look a little bit better dollar wise. Um, and also from in in the sun standpoint, like it's it's easy for me to say because it's not my money, but the <laughs> but having having you know locked Chris Paul in and all Devin Booker you know before um, mm -hmm. that the, there this is not a team that's going to be looking at a ton of like cap flexibility in the near future anyway. So it's it's you know it's it's only money. So and this team yeah. works, and so um, they've proven it you, works. That's the yeah. great thing about it. And so if you, if if you end up paying an extra million or two, kind of so what? Um, especially for players who you know you know can perform in the playoffs because you don't always know that with with right. you know it, like guys coming into the rookie extension. Not a lot of them have. Uh, you know, obviously, not a lot of them have been starters on finals teams. Um, so, right. so that there is a there is a, a certain, um, you know, I don't want to say certainty, but there's a certain confidence you have that comfort that, level. Yeah, that's like okay, no, Mikael Bridges is a good playoff player. Like Mikael yeah. Bridges, like went toe to toe with 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 Chris Middleton and he did fine. Like DeAndre Ayton you know, is still getting better and like was one of the best bigs in the playoffs through 3.3 rounds. 18 out of 22 games. Yeah. 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 So and then all of a sudden he saw yeah, a deer, you know, deer in the headlights. He, he saw the headlights. Yeah. 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 And it's, it, well, have you ever seen those, the, uh, in Finland to avoid, uh, I think it's in Finland or Iceland somewhere like that to, uh, avoid having uh, motorists like run into deer at night. They paint, like their uh, antlers with this uh, with this uh, reflective paint, and so no. these things look these things look terrifying because it looks like you know if, if if there had been like a deer in Tron, this is what they'd look like these, these <laughs> they, like these laser light antlers, and so that's you know that's that Giannis at full speed that full steam that's kind of what that that's the vision yeah. that you know sort of puts in my head, but yeah right. no so you know run up against that and it's like you know oh you know. Yeah, almost like you know, to, it's not to make the analogy, but man, Clyde Drexler must have been terrible because Michael Jordan destroyed him in the finals. Like, what's Michael Jordan destroyed right. him in the finals? Like, what? Like, right. what exactly. What, what's the curve? We're, what's the curve? What's we're the curve? Exactly. Yeah. That, that's the thing. Is is yeah? Okay, I uh, I can go on for a while, but this yeah. is this is your this is your moment here. Um, yeah. So your so your basic. Give uh, takeaway there was hey if you can get in the twenty twenty one range for Mikel that should be good, yeah. and Aiton in the twenty five percent range which is really about thirty thirty one a year or something like that would not be that probably be something that would get it done. I, I wonder if his camp would accept anything less than that this summer. Yeah, he's and, a year away from restricted free agent. Right, and and so the the thing I would say is. Um, is there any like be, unless you could get 
a number lower than that for Aiden. Is there any reason to do that now from a Sun standpoint? Well, if he's not going to settle for less, yeah, then there's probably not, right? So right. probably what's going to happen this summer is they're going to try to get him to go for a little bit less and see what happens. Right, and maybe, you know, now the, the interesting thing is is since the uh, – um, I would – my strong intuition is that that he would not because – one of the subtle things that the new CBA did was tie the rookie scale to the overall salary cap. So, you know, top picks make real money now. So it's not yeah. like, you know, in, in the past where, you know, okay, a, a guy who, a, a guy who had been the top overall pick is, has, is, you know, after his fourth year will have made, you know, 20 million, which is, you know, it's not, obviously it's not nothing, but it's not like, I think Aiton will have made, you know, 35, 40 million by the end of, mm-hmm. of, of this of this year so it's not like um it, it, it's not like the, the bet on the security of a, of a of a of a you know a slightly less but still big deal is quite the same to him as it is to someone who would maybe you know was entering their fourth year having only made six or seven million which you know yeah. not not too long ago that was like you know a mid first where a mid first round pick was so i think that's changed the economics of of how much guys are, are willing to sacrifice like ups like uh, financial upside for certainty because they've already they've already made a lot. So I, I yeah. think that, um, and it, it's always a it's always a weird one for a guy who you think you're going to end up sort of close to the max anyway. Do you do it early just to get it done, or do you you know wait a season to not to kind of kind of diffuse the risk of something bad happening? On both sides. I mean, the Suns, yeah. Suns fans have PTSD from way back, and so does Robert Sarver self-admitted, way back to the Joe Johnson year. I mean, he was – look, uh, the reality, people forget that the summer before his end of his rookie contract, he was still a 21-year-old, and and he was one of the worst productive, productivity-wise, shooting guards in the league, Joe Johnson, as a, as a first full year as a starter. And then – and then um, they were trying to negotiate something. They were a million dollar a year apart, and then it, everything fell apart. And Joe Johnson got mad, and then he played awesome in 0405 with Steve Nash. It was worth a max contract, but he was so mad from the it not working out the year before that he wouldn't even consider signing with the Suns again. So Suns fans have PTSD on that. Yeah, and then uh, well, also PTSD from him breaking his face in the playoffs, which. Kind that of too, yeah. yeah. The, the, one of just the, the the bad the playoff bad luck of that era. I don't need to go into that. Yeah, I'm no, sure. No. I'm sure you guys are all other there. pod. That's a whole yeah. other pod. Yeah. That's right. Just the okay, like so. <laughs> the the how how much that those some of those like oh. how how long it took the NBA to really accept the the three pointer as a as a as a primary offensive staple because of some of the bad luck that those, those Suns teams had is, is kind of an interesting sliding doors. Situation. Well, which even, what's, yeah, what I always try to go back to is just really quick in a cocktail speech or whatever, a cocktail conversation <laughs> or elevator is that Suns team that was so fast and revolutionized the NBA, the slowest team in the league today, yep. <laughs> their pace and their number of threes. They had, they shot barely over 23s a game. Yep. Well, the, I mean, the other, the other interesting part is this was before pace was understood, and they gave up a lot of points. But those those uh, those Suns teams were, were basically league average on defense across like yeah they the, were the, across the early you know D'Antoni Nash years, mm-hmm. and and so for his bad defense, which is by the way why Sean Marion should be in the Hall of Fame, but that's a whole other yeah. that's a whole should be in the Suns Ring of Honor too. But anyway, yeah. yes, that's another conversation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we, we I derailed you here. So that no, so that's but that's but that that's so so yeah. I mean whether whether um you know for a guy who's maybe a a, a little better than Aiton, like just get it done now. And for a guy who's who's somewhat worse, like let's see what this year let's see how yeah. this year do. So he's in the he's just in that that really weird kind of middle ground where it's probably gonna end up at about that spot, but does it make sense? Does it make sense for the we just, sides to actually? We do just it? don't right. Well, we just don't want the players to have a hard feelings. We're so, we're just too yeah. used to it. So it, whatever happens, as long as everyone's happy, that's what matters. Truly happy, not just 
media happy, public happy, but truly happy. That's it seems like it seems like that's one of the benefits of having an ex player as a GM is that that like those the like James won't let that. You can yeah, you can have that discussion in a in a um you know, we we'll, we'll we'll talk about this as adults and no one's no one has hurt feelings yeah. here and you know, we're you know, we we both we both really think this is going to end up in a good place. So let's let's get there and 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 you know, and keep it moving. Whereas, you know, some and uh, other situations it can get unnecessarily contentious. And I think that's a, you know, have being able to have hard discussions and have them not be contentious is a very useful skill for a front office executive. And I think James Jones has shown a really, really good ability to do that. That's true. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Devin Booker is in your 3A group, which is, let's see. Oops, I just went past him. There we go, 20 to 23. So now you're getting into much more narrow tiers. Uh, we skipped over a 3B group that got in 3C, I think. So we jumped up to the 3A. This is, relatively speaking, um, within the top 25 of NBA players. But at the bottom end of the within the top 25, literally it was numbers 20 to 23, you had four players. You had Drew Holiday, Trey Young, Zion Williamson, and Devin Booker in that group. Uh, what is it that you, uh, you, you put a lot of comments in, in the story. Um, I don't want to take away from the value of the story and, and people should subscribe to the athletic. It's more than worth, so worth it. You guys, it doesn't matter that the Suns don't have a, um, an athletic beat writer anymore. The athletic provides great content. So I don't want to take away from that, but what is it? Uh, what Suns fans are going to want to hear is why is Devin Booker in three a in only the top 25 and not inside the top 20? Um, I think again, I we, that that just that that little bit of 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 I guess for lack of a better term, nouse in 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 the playoffs of where kind of across the last two two rounds of the playoffs, the the calibration between sort of getting his own shot and 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 getting you know not turning Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson into into spectators offensively. Um, I think he went just a little too far to the other side on that. And then the the other part is is that he, I mean, at least the, he, I thought he was better in the playoffs, um, more attentive certainly, and and certainly his 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 physicality is 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 something that that uh, is always potentially useful defensively. But he has been over his career has been in the regular season has graded out on a, a many advanced metrics as as just a really a really poor defensively, and you know. Yeah. You, the you know difference between him and, and some of the the scoring wings that are a touch higher, and there's not that many. I mean, you know the the guys who the, the wings who are higher than him are, you know, kind of from memory are like Middleton, Tatum, uh, Butler, and George, mm. and you know, and Durant if you want to if you want to call him a wing. I mean that's you know I, and Kyrie Irving if you want to yeah, call him a wing. yeah yeah. So that's you know that's a that, that's. That's you know I I would guess that the that the player that that Suns fans would argue most against uh, in that group is Chris Middleton and and I again submit to you that that you know one of the uh, guy who's shown himself to be one of the elite big shot makers in playoff situations mm -hmm. for a team that has doesn't have like really hasn't before the last couple of years had a lot of play playoff success but a guy who's who's still made a lot of big shots in those. Uh, yeah. And is and is a better defender and at least as good, possibly a more consistently good playmaker, um, is is kind of the, the the sort of the nits I would pick with uh, the the, the would, small yeah. gradations that put Middleton just that touch higher than. Yeah, uh, I would just put I would just um, uh, say that Suns fans should just turn it around a little bit and because uh, I would also think oh I like Devin Booker better than Chris Middleton if you gave me a choice I would have Devin Booker but. Chris Middleton has had a longer career. He's five, six years into his playoffs experience. He's been an all-star at least well, multiple times, twice. I think, twice. And so is Booker, but um, but Middleton has just proven it for longer. And if you switch roles and you say Booker was the five-year playoff vet and the two-time all-star and more proven and made big shots and big moments more than this young dude, um, Booker should be ranked higher than that guy. So I just think it's a it's a matter of time. I think and, I think Booker will grow into that. 
And also, the, I mean, and to be clear, by the way, this is not like, a, you know, you see some, you know, you see, um, you know, the, the, the tiers list is sort of agnostic of contract and to the extent it is not, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of looking at a one-year window. So age doesn't totally matter. Like unless you know, until we start to think about but, okay, but when you thought about it though, you you yeah. considered their past career. So yes, yeah, the, that's what the, I mean. Is that yeah, Booker no, had the, the longer career? Yeah, and and, and it's it's and, and and that's as much just like I am. You know, Booker has had a year and a half kind of at this level, so I think right. he's there. Middleton has had four, five years yeah. at this right. level, and so that's that. You're just you're just a little bit more sure. And then you know you combine that with the fact he's a little bigger, he's he's better defensively, and 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 a more consistently good three point shooter. That's that's sort of one of that's, the yeah man. Those that's, are that, the two things that frustrate me the most on Booker is he he can't he just doesn't practice threes. I, I'm I'm convinced that he has decided he's going to put all this practice time into into the into the mid-range shots and the shots he's best at and assume he can make the threes when he needs to and if he just put all of his work into threes one off season he'd be he'd be up there cuz he's won he's won a three-point contest he knows how to shoot them um that's for and then the other on the offensive end uh the other thing that's frustrating is he was not nearly the playmaker this past year as he was the year before. And you pointed it out in the playoffs. That became even more evident when they were suck, uh, siphoning off Chris Paul from the offense, partly for physical reasons on Paul's part and partly because of the defense. Uh, Drew Holiday put all-time defense onto him. Um, Booker had an opportunity there to become that secondary playmaker like he had been in 1920. That was just a awesome. And he just didn't and like you said he kind of became a prisoner of the moment a little bit in that regard trying to make the shots instead of create the shots um and so i'm i'm with you on that yeah and and the other option was also like he didn't he didn't get to the line that much in and and that's later in the that was nose my belief is that was nose he said himself he's like you i i never knew how many times i get hit in the face in a regular game since breaking my nose, and <laughs> having, I really, having broken my nose uh, before in, in a basketball game, I can relate to that. Uh, that, yeah. that feeling that like you just never realize, and then oh, and then every time you get right. hit, it's like instant eye water, and yeah, that's my thought. My thought is he was trying to not create all that contact on his nose a little bit subconsciously, maybe not consciously, but he didn't drive at all. Yeah. The year before, also, he drove a lot more to the rim, even throughout the whole year. And it just got worse in the playoffs too. Sure. So that's look, we're picking, you know, we're picking nits as you were saying. Earlier. And you know, and and the mountain gets really steep at the top. Yeah. And so this is again, like I'm thinking this, like thinking back of of how many teams in NBA history get themselves in trouble by thinking they're closer than they are and making the one player away move that just locks them into pretty good. And so yeah. that's why you have to be like, yes, I'm picking nits. Because you have to pick nets because right. the you know playoff the playoff games between good teams come down to small edges, and so identifying and being really like rigorous about identifying those that's that's the point of the exercise. And so, it, like, um, like you accuse if, if someone accuses me of picking nets about stuff like it's like yes, that's exactly what I'm doing, and that's why mm-hmm. I'm doing it. So, and that doesn't mean he can't grow into that higher tier correct. if he if right. he fixes those things. Right. So now let's move on to Chris Paul. That's uh, tier two C. He's in the next small group of players um, above those, and and you've got him in a group with uh, Bam Adebayo, Chris Middleton, Kyrie Irving. Um, I think that's it. Just, yeah, yeah, and Jason, Jason Tatum. Tatum. Jason, Jason Tatum. Tatum. Yeah. Jason Tatum is the one who stayed in that same group. And that's basically the 15 to 19 range. It's just inside the top 20 of, of players. And uh, Chris Paul stayed there consistently. Um, I, it's just amazing what he did this year. I just None of us can believe how great he's, he's remaining in this league. Yeah, he's, he, I mean, he just one of the all-time basketball feel guys. I mean, I, I in the article, I put like one of my favorite Chris Paul charts, which is, is basically you can – there's an advanced metric called uh, RAPM, regularized adjusted plus minus, which basically measures how the scoreboard moves with the player on the floor. 
uh, controlling for teammates and and opponents. Uh, but you can also you can do a similar methodology for you know basically any stat. Um, and so if you look at it from a turnover standpoint, uh, Chris Paul over the last you know you do it if for any slice of play, Chris Paul is one of the best players in over the last 10, 15 years at first of all limiting his own team's turnovers when he's on the floor and increasing the opposition's mm. turnovers. Like that's, you know, a guy who in a, if he plays 40 minutes a night, basically gets a team three or four extra attempts at the basket on a nightly basis. Like that's, that's something that's hard to see in yeah. the flow of a game. But, you know, you, if, you know, if, okay, if a, if a possession is worth about a point, how many extra games do you win with a three point head start? Yeah, and right. in, the, in the NBA, a lot, a lot of games are three <laughs> points or less in the NBA. So that's like, well, and Paul was talking all season long how every possession matters. You've got to focus every single, the first half, second half. It doesn't matter when the possession is, they all matter because they add up and you have to pile up wins when you can. I mean, everything about Chris Paul is grind, grind, grind. And the team responded very, very well because they needed it. They loved it. They were, they just lapped it all up. This is, this might be the most appreciative of team of Chris Paul's leadership that he's had in his career. And I think he, he said it you know, pretty much to that effect during the He year. seemed like he, he seemed like he had a, like he's never, he's never been someone who seemed like he's had a ton of fun playing. But he yeah, seemed like he, he had more fun. He seemed he seemed like he had more fun this year. Like he even had fun. I like this uh, group. Totally tearing um, uh, DeAndre Ayton down every single game because he loved how DeAndre Ayton reacted to it, and and grew from it, and didn't hate him for it, and all that because he's had so many other guys who turned on him eventually. Um, so yeah, he's had he had so much fun this year. So and and you know the the question with Paul is is how long can he can he stay at that level and and. You know, he's uh, obviously not a spring chicken, um, but he's also in the last two years after it kind of looked like he was going a certain way. You know, he was good in Houston, especially his first year, but it also it looked like physically it might be, you know, getting there. But then the last two years, he's just been really spectacular, both in Oklahoma City and and, and Phoenix last year. So um it's it's a little bit of until the wheels fall off because yeah. uh, the the mind works so fast that the body can slow down a little bit and it's okay, especially with Chris Paul. That's, Everything that's what he I mean. does is that's what I mean. Head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he he might lose something uh, at some point, but he'll still. It's kind of like Steve Nash toward the end of his career. Uh, it's still a joy to watch, even though you know you're you're just you're just crossing your fingers all the time. Uh, thank you so much, Seth. So uh, so that was the the top the S. The top, the best of the Suns, got into just inside the top twenty. There are players. It's hard to argue that any of the Suns players would should be ranked higher than the guys above them. Although I could, there's, I, I could know there's a name. A there's a name. There's one name. I know you're gonna argue. It's you're gonna you're like the the one name that everyone like I that I I think I'm probably higher on than most consensus is Rudy Gobert. That yeah, was that okay. the name you were gonna, gonna go. Say him. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say him. I would say. Yeah. Um, Paul George, it's a longevity thing more than anything. Uh, he's great. He is. Jimmy Butler has played incredible this past few years. Damian Lillard, obviously. Luka Doncic, obviously. Joel Embiid, yeah. Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron, James Harden, Steph, KD, Giannis. It's it's hard to argue any of those guys except for a couple. And and I think the the rankings will change over the over the next few years just because people age out and all that. Um, so and it's going to be better. fun to watch how this change. Yeah, and yeah. guys get better. Exactly. And the you know and we're 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 part of you know part of uh, like Devin Booker being on the the you know the edge of the top twenty. I think that actually says as much about like where we are, just from a you know a, a how good an, an era we are for, in from from a talent standpoint in the NBA. Right. Like right. it's you know it's funny because you you're used to thinking of what a top twenty player looks like, and then you start to count up the players who fit that in your mind's eye, and you get to thirty five, and you're like, okay, so what is a top twenty player now? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for these rankings, folks. Subscribe to the Athletic. It's really really there's so many good writers on there, and Seth is is one of those. Uh, Seth, tell us uh, what you want to promote right now. Well, I, uh, I have a book coming out, and uh, in, in, it comes out in November. It's called The Midrange Theory. Um, it's 
uh, taking a look at at how analytics combined with uh, you know uh, rule changes and uh, changes in strategy uh, and and change uh, evolution in player skill sets has kind of made the modern game we see today and and takes takes a look at a number of different topics from you know shot selection from you know we talked about cap economics earlier to uh, you know uh, the process of of drafting uh, something the Suns have done pretty well at. Uh, for the Lovely. recent years, yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, yeah, and and it, it comes out in in November second, and I I'm I'm really happy with the way it turned out, and you know, there's we we are used to seeing a number of of uh, of books every year that come out about you know how to I don't know how to see the game within the game of baseball, and we see a few of them for basketball, and I was sort of hoping to to fill that that niche a little bit there so i'm, I'm like i, I said i'm really to, happy with I can't it wait too. to get it and it's available for pre-order now anywhere uh, books are sold all right that's the mid-range theory by seth Partnow. who's putting it out uh, it's, it's from uh, triumph books triumph books awesome yeah well good luck with all the sales on that thank you and um uh thank continue this guy follow him on twitter read his work on the athletic as well you guys, uh, this, it's really good work. Um, me, I'm Dave King. You can find me at Dave King NBA. You can find my work, my writing on brightsideofthesun.com, following the suns. And then, of course, this this podcast. Uh, so thank you again, Seth, for your time tonight. I really, really appreciate it. Now uh, um, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. <laughs>